Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. One of the greatest things that can happen in the life of any follower of Jesus is that you and I will begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. We talked about that last weekend. That one of the greatest things that could happen for you and me today is that we would begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. Let me say that another way. If you and I would simply begin to read this book, the Bible, And all the things that God says to be true about us in this book. If we could just by faith grab a hold of those things and apply them to our lives, it would change the way we live. We are studying together through the book of 1 Peter as a church family. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to 1 Peter chapter 2. That's where we are right now. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and into chapter 2, Simon Peter is laying for us a foundation about who Jesus is and who we now are in Christ because of who Jesus is. Last weekend, I introduced to you five truths out of 1 Peter chapter 2 that really identify somewhat of who we are in Christ. And I want to Put those back on the screen in just a moment by way of reminder so that we can remember what we said last weekend and what Peter's been teaching us because what we looked at last weekend and what we're going to look at this weekend go so closely together. Now, the statements that I gave you last weekend, I've kind of rewritten them in first person so that we can read them off the screen together. You ready? Here we go. Here's the first one. One, two, three. I am loved by God. Isn't that good news? And listen, here's what that that means about us. Nothing you do today will change that. We are loved by God. We don't have to earn that. We don't have to perform for that. By God's infinite grace, He has chosen to love us. That's good news. Amen? Let me give you the second one. Let's put it up on the screen. Let's read it out loud. I belong to the kingdom of God. Remember what we said last weekend? That means a couple of things. Number one, it means everything that belongs to the king, guess what? It belongs to me. I'm a part of the king's family. Everything that belongs to the king now belongs to me. And we also said because we're part of the king's family, we have access to the very presence of the king himself. King Jesus that we just sang so gloriously about. You and I today have access into the very presence of God. Let me give you the third one. Read it together. I am holy before God. Here's what that means. Because of Jesus right now, you and I 
are right with God. We don't have to earn a right standing with God. We don't have to go through some religious exercise to obtain a right standing with God. Because of Jesus, we've been declared holy by God. Let me show you the fourth one. I was purchased by God. By the blood of Christ, we now belong to Him. And then the fifth one. Let's read it together. I enjoy the mercy of God. The Bible teaches us that the mercy of God is new every morning. God never gets tired of us. He never runs out of patience with us. We constantly enjoy the mercy of God. Look at those five things up there. Look at that. If you and I could begin by faith to grab a hold of those things and apply them to our lives, it would change the way we live. And here's what I want you to hear me say about that. Those five things are one verse of Scripture. All that's wrapped up in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. There's a book full of this stuff. That's just the tip of the iceberg about what God says is now true about you and true about me. And I love this too. It's true about us individually, but it's now also true about us together in community. You see, God sees us now this way. And I want you to hear this. He sees us this way because of Jesus. You see, I didn't earn this. I don't always in my life live up to those things. But it's who I am because it's who Jesus is and what Jesus has made me to be. And we're studying through this little letter, 1 Peter, and for a few weeks we're in a series that we've simply called The People of God. Because we're unpacking some truths here about who we are in Christ and how that affects us. And so we've given you a big umbrella statement that I want to put back up on the screen. It's, we call it the big idea. And I want you to read it out loud with me. You ready? One, two, three. As the people of God, we are who we are because of who Jesus is. And who we are in Him shapes how we live. 1 Peter, as a letter, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to where we begin today. Chapter 2, verse 11. Let me tell you what Peter's done. He has laid for us a foundation of doctrinal truth about who Jesus is and who we are in Christ. But today... We come to the verses where the letter of 1 Peter begins to take a turn. So what do you mean by that? He's been teaching us this is who Jesus is. This is who we now are in Him. All those things we just read and a lot more things that we've talked about over these weeks leading up to this weekend. But now Peter is about to shift his focus. And here's what he's about to tell us. Because of who you are in Him and because of Christ in you, here's how that now affects the way you live. Here's the implication of that in your life. And it's very important that you see it in that order. Otherwise, what I'm about to read for you, you might hear is just some do's and don'ts, rights and wrongs, rules and regulations. That's not what it is. Here's what Peter's saying. Here's who you are in Christ. Here's who Christ is. Here's what it looks like for Christ to live his life through you. And as that happens, here's the effect in the way that you live 
every day. So 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to read two verses, verses 11 and 12. But They'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you this morning so you can follow along. Here's what he says. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Then look what he says in verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Now, now just stop right there for a second. You, you must understand the connection. you got to see this. I'm going to drive this point home. Up until this point, Peter has been saying, this is who Jesus is. This is now who you are in Christ. Now he's shifting to talk about the effect of that in our everyday life. And if you're not careful, if you just jump right here and read this verse, you think, oh, he's just telling you how to live. Do this, don't do this, rules, regulations, rights and wrongs, do's and don'ts. But that's not the heartbeat of what Peter's saying. Peter has just said, you are loved by God. You are chosen by God. You are holy because of Jesus. You've been purchased by God. You're a part of the king's family. Now, because of who you are in Christ, here is how you now live. If you see that, say amen. You better say amen. We're not going to leave this till you see it. Listen, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world says, do this, don't do this, rule, regulation, right, ritual, ceremony, and then hope for the best in the end. That is not Christianity. Christianity is Christ in us and through us doing what we could not do left to ourselves. Christianity is me living out of the overflow of an intimate love relationship with God where who I now am in Christ is being fleshed out in my life on a daily basis. Do you get it? Say amen. All right, I'm going to take your word for it. Let's read on verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So here's the turning point in the letter. This is who Jesus is. This is who you are in Christ. Now, this is how you live because of who you are. Now, verse 11 and 12 really give us an outline of the rest of the letter of 1 Peter. Because the rest of this letter, he's going to give us examples in our daily life of what it looks like for Christ to live his life through us out of the overflow of who we are in him. Understanding our identity, here's what it looks like. He's going to give us the example of what it looks like in civic society. We're going to talk about that next week. He's going to give us the example of what it looks like in employer-employee relationships. He's going to give us the example of what it looks like in husband and wife relationships. He's going to give us the example of what it looks like as brothers and sisters in Christ living out in Christian community. All that is going to be wrapped up here in, in 1 Peter. He's going to give us specific examples, but you've got to see the connectedness. This is who Jesus is. This is who you are in Him. Because this is who you are in Him... Here's generally what it looks like, and then he's going to give us the examples. So what we just read is the outline of generally what it looks like. So I'm going to give it to you in three statements. Here's the first one. As the people of God, this world is not our home. 
These statements that I'm going to give you today really help us build a platform by which we live out our lives here on this earth. And if you don't understand these things, you're never going to understand what living Christianity looks like here on earth. As the people of God, this world is not our home. Peter opens these two verses by calling these people a couple of really weird names. He calls them aliens and strangers. He says, I'm I'm talking to you aliens and strangers. What do these two words mean? Well, they were Greek terms that simply referred to people who lived in a country that was not their home. They were temporary residents in a land that was not their home. Well, who, who are these strangers and aliens? Well, he calls them the beloved. He says, beloved, I'm urging you as strangers and aliens. What is this term, beloved? Beloved is a term that we don't use a lot today. You don't say, well, I'm looking forward to going to church and being with the beloved. If you said that this morning, that's a little weird, right? We don't, we don't use that term a lot. But it's a very biblical term because what it's speaking about is the family of God. We are the beloved. Because of our love relationship with God, we have a love relationship with each other. And this term is used in the New Testament, don't miss this, exclusively to refer to the community of believers that have come together through faith in Jesus Christ. So this is a term that refers to us as Christians, as the community of believers living in the world. So here he's talking to Jesus followers. And he says, as followers of Jesus, this world is not your home. We're strangers and aliens here. We are temporary residents in a place that is ultimately not where we will live. If you get that, say amen. Paul said it this way. Philippians 3.20, Paul said, for our citizenship is in, where? Say it out loud. Heaven. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said the same thing Peter said. This world's not our home. Listen, do you ever feel like you don't fit in here as a follower of Jesus? If you say, no, I'm great. Listen, that says something about you. You need to pay attention today, all right? This world's not our home. You see, this world is structured around a set of values and driven by passions and desires that are different from those of us as followers of Jesus Christ. This world's not our home. Let me give you an example. Uh, One of the great blessings and privileges of my life that the Lord's given me is that I have the privilege to travel a lot to speak and preach the gospel in other places in America and all over the world. I love the privilege that God's given me to do that, to travel and to speak and, and, and to get to preach the gospel to peoples and places that I maybe would have never visited otherwise. But as much as I love the opportunity to go and preach and do that, the part of it that I don't like is the travel part of it. The travel part of it got old after about week one, right? Those of you that travel with your job, you know what I'm talking about. The travel piece of it's not fun. Especially because a lot of times when you travel, you wind up in different time zones from the time zone that you live in, right? And here's a trick that I learned early on because usually I'm in and out in about a day or two in a time zone. And here's the trick that I learned. When I go into another time zone, unless I'm going to be there for more than a week, I pretty much just live on Las Vegas time. Wherever I am, unless I'm going to be there for more than a week, 
I, I just live on my own time. For example, I spoke in North Carolina two weeks ago on a Sunday morning. Before the 9 a.m. service here started, I'd already preached three services in their church before our 9 o'clock service started. So time zones can just mess you up. But, but I've learned when I'm there, just live based on where my home is. Let me tell you why. It makes no sense for me to adjust my life and order my schedule around a place that is not my home. That's going to hit some of you at lunch, and you're going to say, man, that's good. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. It makes no sense for me to adjust my life and order my schedule around a place that is not my home. I can endure a level of discomfort because I know I'm getting on the airplane to come home. Listen to me, child of God. This world is not your home. It's not your home. Why should we order our lives and our schedule around a place and a structure and a value system that is ultimately not where we will live? Let, let, me, let me give you a, an example of this out of my life practically, all right? Let me give you an example, and I hope it's one we can all relate to because we all have to deal with this, but the example I want to give you is in the area of personal finances, my, my wife and I, we have the responsibility just like you to manage our personal finances. And, and don't miss here what I'm about to say. I believe the Bible teaches us that the wise thing for us to do is as a part of our financial management, we establish savings for the future. We teach that here at Hope, that biblical stewardship includes a piece of saving for the future. If we're not saving for the future, we're living unwisely as biblical stewards of what God's entrusted us. That's part of our responsibility. So my family has decided we will practice that and we have we meet with financial advisors and we take a portion of our income and we set it aside as savings for the future. But my family invests more in the kingdom of God through giving as a percentage of our income than we do saving for the future. Let me say that again so it, so it registers with you. We, we believe in saving for the future. That's a biblical principle. So we've carved out a percentage of our income. But out of our income, we have chosen to invest more than the percentage we save giving through our local church as an investment in the kingdom of God. You say, why would you do that? Let me tell you why. This world is not my home. Let me read it to you in the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Listen to what he said. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. Now, before you tune me out and go, well, is it about me? He said rich. According to what this word means in the Greek language, everybody who lives in America falls into this category. Everybody in the room today is rich. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. Not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to what? Say it out loud. Share. Why? Look what he says. Storing up for themselves the treasure 
of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. You know what this says? I cannot, I cannot take it with me, but I can send it on ahead. As I invest, listen, doesn't it just make sense that as I think about my long-term future and my long-term existence, that yes, I carve out some and save it for the next 40 or 50 years that I'm going to live here on planet Earth, depending on how long I live. But doesn't it just make sense that I'm investing more in where I'm going to spend eternity compared to 40 or 50 years? The scripture here says, this world's not my home. And when I understand that, I'm investing even down to my finances and ordering my life around that which God has given me around the reality that my home is yet to come. That's ultimately where I'm going to be. Does that make sense? Okay, let me give you the second one. As the people of God, the battle is very real. As the people of God, the battle is very real. Some of you were here last weekend, and you heard me teach those five principles about who we now are in Christ, and you left out of here on cloud nine. You were so excited to discover who you are in Christ that you left out of here on cloud nine, and then you went to work on Monday morning. And somehow they did not get the memo that you are a part of the royal family. And when you told them, it didn't help, right? When you tried to tell them who you were. You see, the more who you are in Christ becomes Christ in you. The more who you are in Christ becomes Christ in you, the more you realize this world is not my home and the more you realize the battle is very real. Sometimes as Christians we make the mistake and think that growing in Christ simply means the absence of sin in my life. Now, don't misunderstand me. I I do believe that as we grow in Christ, we begin to experience victory. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But real Christian growth and spiritual maturity does not mean the absence of sin. It means the presence of a struggle. There's a war going on. Look what he said here. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against your soul. The term wage war here is defined as carrying out a long military campaign. Spiros Zodiates is a great Greek scholar and listen to the adjectives that he uses to describe the war that Peter mentions here. Relentless. Malicious. Aggressive. That sound like your spiritual struggle? Relentless. See, some people think, man, as I grow in Christ, man, it's just going to get easy. Peter says, listen to me. 
Understand who you are in Christ. Understand your identity and position in Him. Because as you live out that life here on earth, you need to understand something. Your flesh, it's our unredeemed humanness, our passions, our desires, our our attitudes from our past before Christ. Your flesh is going to wage war against your soul. It is going to be malicious. It is going to be relentless. It is going to be aggressive. It is going to be continuous. The battle is very real. Listen, we now have Christ in us, but we also have a flesh that is bent towards rebellion against God, and our flesh is warring against us. If you don't understand that, you're going to lose your way in this thing called Christianity. Listen to what, I love the way R.C. Sproul, or excuse me, before I read that, let me, let me read you the way Paul described it in Galatians 5. Look at this verse. He says, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Christ in me has placed a longing for holiness. Christ in me has placed a longing for kingdom living. Christ in me has placed a longing for significance, for righteousness, for purity. That's Christ in me. But here's what Paul said. My flesh says game on. And every day of my life, my flesh is going to war against Christ in me. My flesh is longing for the things of this world. And the more I grow in Christ, the more I realize how desperate I am for Jesus because my flesh is just that wicked. Listen to the way R.C. Sproul described I love this statement. Look what he said. This gives us great insight. There is a unique battle for each person. My struggles might be different from yours, and yours might be different from mine. Each of us comes into the Christian life from a different background and with different scars and deeply ingrained habits. So that no one man's struggle is another so that one man's struggle is another man's ease. Nevertheless, each of us has a battle. You see, our flesh brings with it all of our past. All the junk that I exposed myself to before Christ. All of the attitudes and the actions and the habits. All that stuff is in my flesh. Now, Christ in me is greater than all of that. But all of that that I... And listen, every one of us has a different past. So we've all got our own struggles. So don't get too high on your horse and look down on somebody else because of their struggles. Don't think, man, I could never... Listen, your struggle is just as real as their struggle. We all got different ones, but listen, we all struggle. And if you're telling me you don't, I can tell you what your struggle is. That's just the truth. We all struggle. Peter says that the flesh is waging war against the soul. But let me give you the good news. We can experience 
victory in the midst of the struggle. Because of Jesus, listen, you do not have to live defeated. You don't have to let the flesh wear you down. You don't have to let the flesh defeat you. Because of Jesus, we can have victory. That's why Peter writes here and he says, listen, I'm urging you to abstain from that. I'm urging you to keep your behavior excellent. You say, how do we do that? How do we experience victory? Well, first we've got to understand our enemy. You see, the primary weapon of the flesh is deception. Here's what that means. You will lie to you. And if you think you won't, you've already bought in. You'll lie to yourself. My flesh will lie to me. Let let me show it to you in James chapter 1. Look at it on the screen. But each one is tempted. Here's where temptation comes from. When he's carried away and enticed. What does it say? Read it out loud. By his own lust. My own flesh. He says, carries me away and entices me. The word entice is the word the Greek word for bait. You ever been fishing? You take that big old plastic worm and you run it up on that hook and you get it set just right and you throw it out there in the water and here's what that that glimmering bait out there in the water says to those fish. I will satisfy you. I will fill your stomach. I will fill your soul. I will bring you joy. I will complete you. I'm exactly what you need today. And the fish says, oh, I believe. And the fish wraps his lips around that big worm. And the fisherman sets that hook in his jaw. And immediately the fish says, that was a lie. Your flesh will say, this is what you need to be happy. Oh, if you will just entertain this thought. If you will just let your mind dabble in this area. Oh, if you will just commit this act. Oh, this will bring you joy. This will bring you satisfaction. This will make you complete. This will make you whole. Anybody's flesh ever told you that? And as a follower of Jesus, here's what happens. As soon as we grab it, immediately we say, that was such a lie. That that won't satisfy me. You know where your struggle is. I know where mine is. Listen, as soon as I grab it, I know. It's a lie. So here is the key to victory. Exposing the lies of the enemy to the truth of God and by faith believing the truth. There's the key right there. It's that simple. How do I live in victory? You got to expose the lies of the enemy. When the flesh says, oh, this is what you need, you got to see it for what it is, call it a lie, 
Find the truth. And listen, this is why we talk to you all the time about spending time with God daily in His Word. Why? Because if you don't know the truth, listen, you're not equipped for the battle. You see, to see the lie, you've got to know what the truth is. And if you don't know what the truth is, you're not ready when the enemy comes with the lie. But as I expose the lie to the truth of God and by faith believe the truth, then I begin to experience victory. Paul said it this way. Look at Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Here's what that means. As we understand who we are in Christ and by faith begin to appropriate that to our lives, we experience victory over the flesh. That's why this all goes together. You see, i got to understand who I am in Christ. And as I begin to understand who I am in Christ, then I can begin to, when I see the lie, expose it to the truth of God and by faith believe the truth. Let me give you a, a practical example here. And I tried to pick one that we could all relate to because I wanted it to be something that we could all go, yeah, I see that. So, so I picked this one, all right? Let's say somebody cuts you off in traffic. Anybody had that happen to you in Las Vegas? People are crazy here when it comes to driving. So somebody cuts you off in traffic. Here's what the flesh says. How dare they? Do they not understand that I am too important to be treated like that? You should get angry. You should get aggressive. The flesh says, maybe you ought to even wave at them inappropriately, right? Now, I'm not saying you do that, but I'm saying that's what my flesh says. If we're just going to be honest, we're in church, right? The flesh starts lying to us immediately about the situation and how we should respond. I know that's kind of a silly example, but let me, let me show you the truth in that situation. This isn't silly. Philippians 2, 3, look what it says. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know what I do in that moment? I expose the lie of the enemy to the truth of God, and by faith believe the truth. And here's what Peter says. As we fight this battle on the inside, Christ changes us on the inside, and what comes out of us is keeping your behavior excellent. But it's not me just conforming to a system on the outside. It's Christ working on the inside where now I'm waging war against the flesh by believing the, by faith the truth of God. And I'm doing battle on the inside, letting Christ in me reign supreme. And as that happens, guess what happens? What comes out of me is Christ through me. Who I am in Christ begins to affect how I live. That's why he said here, abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Then verse 12, keep your behavior excellent. It's really better translated because it's present tense. Keeping your behavior. As I do war against my flesh and my soul by abiding in the truth of God and letting Christ in me live through me, that's how I keep my behavior excellent. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. We will not be perfect at this until Jesus comes again. There will be moments where we all blow it. 
okay? It's going to happen. You say, what do we do when we blow it? Let me tell you what you do. Repent quickly. Look at this quote by John Eldridge. I love what he said. Repent quickly. The sooner the better. For one thing, you do not want to lose your intimacy with God. For another, you know the enemy is going to jump all over you when you blow it. And you don't want to get hammered by that for days, weeks, months, years. Also, you are after freedom. The longer you wait to repent, the deeper a sin gets in you. Repent quickly. In that moment, when I've grabbed the bait, and immediately I know... Listen, if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, as soon as you grab the bait, you know. As soon as that worm hits your mouth, you know it's not... Listen... That might have been who you used to be. But you know as soon as you grab it, that is not who you are anymore in Christ. There is a distaste for that sin. There is a distaste for that desire. There is a distaste for that attitude now that is Christ in you. As soon as you grab it, you know it. And here's what we do. We grab it, and instead of dealing with it immediately, we let the enemy wear us out. See there? You're no good as a Christian. God, God's so disappointed in you. Surely God can't love you. <laughs> you think you're a part of the family of God? Are you kidding me? What's happening now? Our flesh is starting to lie to us again. As soon as you grab it, here's what you do. First thing is... You confess. God, you are so right and I am so wrong. God, this is not what I need anymore. It's not who I am anymore. God, I, I, I confess to you that this is not your will for me. You confess it. And then you go a step further. You, you renounce it. What does that mean? To renounce it means to formally formally declare your abandonment of it. You you say, you acknowledge, God, this is not even who I am anymore. Who I am now is Christ in me. I'm a loved child of the Father. I've been given the grace of God. I'm a part of the King's family. All the things the Bible, you just begin to renounce that old way of living. I love the way Eldridge says this. He says, Do not look to your emotions or experience to determine whether or not this is true. Because in the moment, you're going to feel what the flesh is saying. You hear me? You're going to feel like the worst Christian on planet earth. You're going to feel like God doesn't love me anymore, like I hadn't lived up to my end of the deal. He said, don't let your emotions drive whether or not this is true. You start by accepting the truth as told you by the living God. Then you will discover it playing itself out in your life. Here's the third word, embrace. Confess, renounce, embrace. God, that was a lie of my flesh. Lord, I bought into it. I believed it. But God, I confess it to you. It's sin. Lord, I renounce it. It's not who I am anymore. That's not who I am in Christ. 
Maybe who I used to be, it's not who I am anymore. And so, God, here's what I do right now. By faith, I embrace your forgiveness for that sin. 1 John 1, 9, I love it. He said, if we confess our sin, he is what? Say it out loud. Woo, that's a good word, amen. If we confess, he's what? Hey, he didn't say if we confess and are faithful. He said, no, if we confess, he's what? Faithful. He's the one that's faithful even when we are faithless. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, as the people of God, the battle is very real, but we win it moment by moment. Moment by moment. Let me give you the third statement. I'm finished. As the people of God, those around us are worth the fight. You say, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. Look what he said. He said, I'm urging you, I'm begging you, I'm begging you that you abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war. I'm begging you to engage in the battle. Why? Look at verse 12. So that they may, because of your good deeds, glorify God. Who's the they here? Well, he refers to them as the Gentiles. The word Gentile is a word that was used in the New Testament to describe people who did not have a relationship with God. So here's the they. Those around you are people in your circle of influence who have no relationship with God. And here's what Peter's saying. I'm begging you to daily fight the battle against the flesh so that God can use you to share his glorious gospel with those around you. You see what he's doing here? Here's who you are in Christ. Here's how who you are in Christ begins to live out in your daily life. And here's why that's important. Because you're living out this thing called Christianity around some people at work, at the gym, at school, in your neighborhood, at the office, at Walmart, on the ball field. And they need to see Christ. They desperately need God. And here's God's plan. Christ in you, making himself known to them. Listen to the way Alexander McLaren writes it. Look at, this, look at this quote. I love this. The world takes its notions of God, most of all, from the people who say they belong to God's family. They read us a great deal more than they read the Bible. How are they going to know? That Jesus died for them and loves them and wants to forgive them and change. How are they going to know? Here's how they know. They see him in us. And as they see him in us, they are drawn to him. Those around us need God. Listen, it's worth the fight. It's worth engaging in the battle daily because those around us need God. And God desires to make himself known to them. But let me take it even a step further. Those around us, God deserves glory from those around us. That's really what the heart of the text says. It says, so that they may see you and glorify God. The word glorify means, it comes from a root word, which means to think or to form an opinion. And here's what it means. It means that they recognize God for who he is, having seen him now in you and the way you live. You see, Peter is reminding us that the single most, method of, single most effective method of making the gospel attractive and believable is the godly lives we live. Christ in us and through us, who we are in Him, shaping how we live, creates this incredible platform to have conversations about the gospel. 
That's why this is such a big deal. And I'll close with this, this quote. It's by a man named William Barclay. His, his theology is not always the greatest, but he's a great Greek scholar. So when you're trying to unlock some Greek tenses and some words and phrases, he brings a lot of good insight to it. And here's what he says about the verses we've read this morning. Here then is the great timeless truth. The best argument for Christianity is a real Christian. And therefore, whether we like it or not, every Christian is an advertisement for Christianity. By his life, he either commends Christianity to others or he makes others think less of Christianity. The strongest missionary force in the world is a Christian life. That's why Peter says, here's who you are. And because of who you are in Jesus, here's the way it affects how you live. And as you live, you need to understand something. This world's not your home. Don't shape and structure your life around the values and systems. This world's not your home. You're just here for a season. Live for the home that's yet to come. As the people of God, there's a battle. It's very real. You're going to fight it daily. Don't think that there's just ease and a bed of roses in this thing called it. It's going to be a battle. It's a war. It's malicious. It's relentless. It's continuous. It's aggressive. But you can have victory because of who you are in Christ. That's not who you are anymore. And as you engage in the battle and Christ manifests his life through you, hey, those around you will see Christ in you and they will recognize God for who he is in you and you will be the vehicle by which God takes the gospel into their lives and they glorify him. That's who we are as the people of God.